0: Welcome to the InnovaBuzz podcast, where our job is to help you build visibility, professional credibility, and connection with your ideal client by putting the human at the center of innovative marketing so you can build and strengthen an engaging, enduring relationship with your ideal clients. I'm Jürgen Strauss from InnovaBiz and I'm honoured that you're here with me. If you haven't joined our wonderful marketing transformation community yet, go to InnovaBiz.co and collect your free gift as well. Do subscribe to the show and also leave a review because it helps others find us. Let's get into today's masterclass on this InnovaBiz podcast.
1: understand your purpose and why that is unique to you and how that ties into your specific skills and experience. No one's skills and experience are identical. You've all lived individual lives. When you tie that to your purpose, not only will it drive you to the right client, but it will put you in a position where you're able to explain the full extent of the service that you can provide, as well as its limitations.
0: Welcome back. I hope you've had an awesome week to date. Now, if you haven't yet listened to my recent conversations with author and keynote speaker, Jason Bradshaw, and with Lean Launchpad instructor, Steve Weinstein, then check them out but only after you've listened to today's conversation. I'm really excited today to have on the Innova Buzz podcast as my guest, Scott Mason. Scott is a lawyer turned entrepreneur, motivational keynote speaker and business owner. He's a man on a mission to do three things for his business clients right now. That's grow, scale and sustain. As a keynote and motivational speaker, Scott focuses on resilience, on personal transformation and social ethics, as well as leadership and the entrepreneurial mindset. He also provides consulting services regarding operations, strategy, business development and scaling to small businesses, as well as leadership mentoring. In our conversation today, Scott talked to me about connecting to your deeper purpose as the goal of your journey. He described being compelled to service as the vehicle of that purpose. And we talked about why entrepreneurial and sales marketing motivation is more than a personal or business issue. It's an existential moral imperative. Without further ado, then let's fly into the hive and get the buzz from Scott Mason. Hi, I'm your host, Jürgen Strauss from InnovaBiz, and I'm really excited to welcome to the InnovaBuzz podcast today from the other side of the globe, New York in the USA, Scott Mason, who's a man with a mission, a passionate keynote and motivational speaker. He's an advocate, he's an entrepreneur and he's host of the Purpose Highway podcast. Welcome to the Innova Buzz podcast, Scott. It's a real privilege to have you as my guest. It is every bit as much my honor to be here. Mark Helpert, who was our guest on episode 258 of the Innova Buzz podcast, introduced us and suggested that we need to have a conversation with you. So big hello to Mark. And I'll tell you, if Mark says I need to meet someone, I am on the line with
1: him, <laughs> no question.
0: Yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, he's introduced us to uh, A whole um, raft of guests that have come on the podcast and they've all been awesome and I'm sure you will be too thank you so much now Scott before we get on to specifically what you do and you're speaking and what's changed for you over the past year because I'm sure that's been impacted by not being able to travel around and get on stages with real people live (laughs) um, what is it that drives you
1: (laughs) so a couple of things first of all I am driven by the idea that to truly accomplish what we need to in this life, we need to connect with our purpose, we need to spend the time and effort to understand what that means to us professionally, personally, then we need to make sure that we do the work afterwards to build a better self. And the times that we're in now demonstrate this last part more than ever, although it's always been true that we need to take it from there and also build a better world. That's what drives me. That's what I'm here. That's what I'm about.
0: Hmm. Yeah, well, that's, that's fabulous. And it kind of sounds like a very service-oriented um, uh, mindset and, and belief system. Service is at the core of resilience. Service is at the core of
1: sustainability. Service is at the core of what makes us viable
0: long-term, both as people and as businesses. Absolutely. Great. I love it. All right. So, I mean, a lot of people talk about connecting with your purpose or discovering your purpose or finding your passion, which to me is, is kind of a bit of a cliched one and I'm not quite sure what that means, but how can we genuinely connect to a purpose that, that we think that is our purpose. So it really drives us. We're really, passionate about it because there's just no question it's not a question of becoming passionate about it as opposed to what some people say oh i think it'd be a good idea to i don't know um um improve the environment let's say yeah and so i'm going to make that my passion but it's kind of not really integral to one's beliefs
1: yeah And, you know, I will address that with a couple of stories that hopefully add some meaning to the, and some substance to the response. You know, I spent the overwhelming majority of my career doing exactly what you were talking about, working on entities and on projects that had externally important meaning that were of substance, and that impacted the world in a way that was very, in some cases, very showy. I mean, I worked with New York City's Homeless Services Department, for instance, in transforming the way it dealt with every single homeless family within the city's borders. You know, I worked for years. I was a building safety regulator on 9-11. I worked for years on skyscraper safety legislation that will make sure that when there is a, if there is another catastrophe like that, thousands of lives will be saved. And I went and I worked in the nonprofit sector, um, in, with a company that was the U.S.'s largest domestic violence shelter service provider. All of those things were things that were sort of like what you were just talking about a minute ago. Oh, I care about the environment. I'm working with domestic violence uh, victims. I'm working on, on, you know, disaster preparation, things that I thought meant something, but they were not truly connected to who I was. And so I felt a lot of, disconnect. And the longer and longer I did that, this weird cognitive dissonance kept occurring. I'm working on this important socially responsible stuff. Why am I feeling more and more unhappy? again, there was a day when I went to get some breakfast after a series of meetings in my office, and I walked by a coffee stand on the corner. And there was a man inside that coffee stand. It was a cart who was selling coffee on the street for 75 cents. And I remember feeling overwhelmed with envy for that man. Mm. I wanted his life. I was working on these massive institutional reforms. I was jealous of him. Why? Because when he was passing out that cup of coffee, he had a smile on his face. You could feel his joy. So i that's the difference between doing something that you want to do and what your purpose is. The world... Society is, as you know, composed of a zillion different units, of different inputs. And those inputs, those units, are the individuals that together build the various different components of our larger culture that we operate in. That creates a massively complex tapestry. We may want to be the yellow at the center of the tapestry, but that may not be right for us. For me, a lot, the critical moment came and it was weird. And I could tell you a whole story about it, you know, if if, if the conversation moves in that direction, but the realization came as to the distinction when I understood exactly what you were talking about a minute ago, which was that what I wanted or what I thought I wanted wasn't
2: necessarily what was my purpose. My purpose was what represented The skills and experience I had connected with the area
1: within which I felt compelled to provide service.
2: I stopped asking myself at a critical point in my career, what can I do? But what can I be the vehicle for?
0: That's the difference. Mm. Yeah, I love the... The differentiation of those questions, what can I be a vehicle for? Because that then comes to the point of, you know, as an individual, we can't change the world or make things hugely better. We're always relying on other people to join us in in a particular quest and and do certain things and bring different expertise to the table that working together will then make the change that we're trying to bring about. So I love the idea of, um, you know, being the vehicle. Yeah you
1: know i love also by the way what you said about the distinction between passion and purpose you know i have a passion for electronic dance music that does not mean <laughs> my purpose is being the next you know daft punk uh, yeah. passion is merely something that you like purpose is something that's driving you
0: hmm. yeah that's that's exactly right and you know i i think of that because i'm i'm a real passionate bike rider but i do that for my own enjoyment i'm also a passionate photographer. I'm a hobby photographer. I think I'm pretty good at some things, but I certainly wouldn't put myself out there and say, you know, I'm I'm a professional photographer that will teach other people how to take photos or will take photos better than anybody else, because that would be a purpose. Whereas for me, it's a passion because I just get enjoyment out of it. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And you know, it's interesting that you use those examples in particular because what they are talking about is accepting, by the way, that our passion, even if it's something that we're really good at, as opposed to our purpose, are driven by entirely different mindset. And they come from different ego places. You can be the greatest bicyclist in the world. I love to bicycle, but God knows I'm not the best (laughs) bicyclist in the world or anything like it. But, you know, Sitting and saying, because I know I'm great at something and therefore that is going to be my contribution to the world is letting your ego drive what you think your purpose is. Mm. As opposed to saying, I'm going to let my ego go to the side. What is the need for me? What is the service that I can provide is an ego smashing experience? Because sometimes that isn't what you believe you're, you like the most. That's because it's not about what you like the most. It's again about how we can contribute in a way that's meaningful and leverages our skills and experience. Hmm. All right. Well, tell us a little bit then about what, what's the service you provide? So one thing that I like to do, as you know, as you mentioned earlier, I am a motivational and a keynote speaker. I enjoy speaking on topics like resilience, purpose, connection, overcoming obstacles, as well as entrepreneurship. I also provide services with regards to businesses that want to grow and scale and and sustain. Um, And I'm also looking to connect and I provide I, I do a podcast of my own called The Purpose Highway, which delves into the stories of people who are doing
0: exactly what we're talking about right now. Hmm. Do you help people find their purpose, find their true true um calling?
1: I hope I definitely participate in motivating people to that effect. And yeah. by the way, with regards to the business coaching or the business um consulting that I do, absolutely. Because a lot of times the problems that are related to a business owner growing and scaling are either directly related to a disconnect between their own um, purpose orientation and what they're doing, or they relate to leadership and management issues, which, again, not all the time, but as often as not, are related to disconnect between purpose and why they're there and what they need to be doing with and within that company.
3: Hmm
0: all right now you mentioned earlier about um, putting ego aside and that ego often drives some decisions or or pursuing some passions if you like or skills or or endeavors that are not necessarily your purpose and they're not necessarily service focused um one of the one of the things that comes up for me there is you know let's say Somebody discovers a passion for something, and often this is this comes like in my mind. Often that comes about. You get upset by something, or you see something that's an injustice, or that's wrong in the world, and it may be the environment. I mean, I was talking to somebody the other day, and I and and I mentioned about bike riding, and I can't believe how much rubbish is on the side of the road when bike riding. So that sort of annoys me. So right, is that a purpose? Now, the the thing that. I'm curious about is, you know, we find something like that, we say, that's my passion, I want to change the world and do something about that particular issue. But a who am I to do that, because I don't have any skills in this area, and I don't have any knowledge, specialist knowledge, and I don't know who to talk to. Um, So how do we go about, like, because we underestimate what we can actually do or what we can actually achieve in some of these areas. And often people will walk by that and say, well, I don't know what to do about that. yeah.
1: Yeah, I would say the first thing to do is look at, honestly, to what extent, if if you think that there is a connection between your passion and your purpose, because I don't want to say that they're always mutually exclusive. That may not be true at all. And in fact, some of the people, particularly when I worked in the homeless services space that were in that area, it really was both their passion and their purpose. So number one, is it something, you, it's important for us to sit on it for a while and think about it. Am I feeling the passion in the moment or is, and is it something I even feel strongly enough about? And is it something I feel strongly enough about that where I am willing to make whatever sacrifices are necessary to do that? If you're not willing to sacrifice to do that, and it may be sacrificing significant financial money or financial capital, it may be um, sacrificing a career that you are working in that has been lucrative for you, then it's probably not your real purpose. It probably is just something that you you care about. That's number one. Number two, are you willing to take the time and energy and invest in researching and then trying out how you can commit to that? So let's say you believe that anti-littering is your purpose because you've seen that on your bicycle rides and you're sick of it. Well, what are the opportunities for you to actually do something about it? There are, as we all know, I'm sure, you know, in your country as well as in mine, there are a zillion sort of anti-littering campaigns that you can get involved in. Fine. Are you going to take the time to research it? Are you going to take the time to get involved? And because commitment to purpose ultimately involves leaving the ego behind, are you going to be willing to roll up your sleeves and do the ego's less work that may be involved in getting more deeply involved? And again, committing more time. As you get more and more deep into it, do you have the skills and experience necessary to do anything? or? Are you willing to take the time and energy to figure out how to leverage those and to network your way into that situation? And again, are you willing then to take the ultimate risk and make the sacrifice to do it? You know, when I worked in the nonprofit sector, again, with these, with the domestic violence services, um, shelters, domestic violence shelters, that company also ran homeless shelters. And we would get senior executives all the time that would interview for the C-suite positions. I was in the C-suite of that company. And so was always involved in the interviewing process. And they would say things like, I believe this is my purpose. I want to give back all of this sort of stuff. Then we would tell them what the salary was. And all of a sudden (laughs) that commitment was gone. Wasn't their purpose. Or if it was, they weren't real they weren't ready to embrace it. They wanted a change. They thought it might be something that was nice to do. There might be the ego boost that could come with saying, I work for a nonprofit and there and I'm working on homeless service projects and people will admire you and think
2: you're a good person. That is what I think they wanted. You have got a sacrifice if you really want to connect with your purpose. Hmm. Yeah,
0: there's a lot lot to think about there, isn't it? Um in terms of you know, there's time, there's money, there's career, and and then I mean the interesting one that that I think and and this is I mean I'm interested in your view on this. You look at some of the really successful entrepreneurs in the business world, and the first thing they sacrifice often is their relationships with their loved ones. Yes, um, and I think you know there's plenty of examples we could cite there. We won't name names, um, but the uh I'm curious, you know, why are, we, uh, why are we as a human species so prepared to make that sacrifice in order to further our careers, climb the corporate ladder, and all of that stroking our ego, of course. And yet when it comes to, you know, oh, I'm passionate about this, but no, I'm not going to sacrifice money or I'm not going to sacrifice time. Yeah, it's fascinating,
1: isn't it? You know. I have a lot to say on that and I will say two things right up front. Number one, if it really is your purpose and you're in a relationship with someone or you have a family member, right, that is, that's dependent on you or that is going to be in one way or another impacted, you know, an honest, frank discussion about what that means up front is as you know, it almost goes without saying, but I, but I will say that that person needs to be aware and they also need to be responsible for um, walking into what the relationship means going forward with their eyes open. You know, I'm married. The person I'm married to knows full well and has known full well since the day I moved into the entrepreneurial world, what that meant. And we had discussions about that and so when i'm working 12 15 hour days 80 100 hour weeks as has happened there was nothing to be said about it there was no argument but that was only because that discussion was had and it was frank and it was not just a fantasy if if that had been if that discussion out, if that discussion had had a different outcome then our situation would have been different now when it comes to the other example that you were talking about sacrificing work are sacrificing relationships and time with your children and your life, all of that to climb up the corporate ladder for ego-driven things. To me, that's a very different, that's a different animal. Because on the one hand, you are providing, at least ostensibly, prestige, money, security to those that you love. So they ideally are getting something in, in exchange and you're contributing to them. But I think the problem happens, and it happens a lot, Juergen, in what is embedded in what you were just describing, when those are seen as the principal drivers of the person's esteem, as opposed to looking at the whole range of what constitutes our success as a human being, which includes, are we having meaningful relationships and are the people that we're in relationships with, actually happy with why we're participating in it. You know, in my case, when I was working a zillion hours and miserable in these large organizational jobs, not only was I not seeing my spouse, I was a pain in the rear end when I got home. No one wanted to be around me. So there wasn't even that being offered. After a while, my spouse wasn't getting anything. And that is the question that comes up a lot of times. And, and where why you see these relationships ending up in less than ideal circumstances Hmm. it's complex Hmm. what's driving us always does matter
0: yeah yeah human relationships are complex aren't they absolutely (laughs) Hmm. okay now um speaking of bicycles we'll take a little bit of a tangent here um you you tell a story where i think is a bit fascinating and it's a, a story about a bicycle in the sun that kind of turned your life around. So, tell us a little bit more about that one. (laughs) I'm glad you asked,
1: bicyclists bicyclists. (laughs) You know, as I mentioned, um, I worked for nearly 20 years in government service, and on the outside, I had a career that seemed extremely successful. I advanced rapidly, consistently, due to hard work, reputation, and extreme competence. But, you know, on the inside, as I discussed earlier, I wasn't happy. And it
2: all came to a crashing, abrupt end anyway. And Jürgen, you know, that happened many years ago. But to this day, it is painful for me to discuss. I had just gotten a merit raise. And my boss called me into her office abruptly. And we began to discuss a number of things.
1: And in the middle of that discussion, she leaned back and she said, Scott, you know, I think you're trying to keep me at arm's length within this agency. And it's my agency, not yours. And then she said, you know, never forget, she leaned back in her chair and she stroked her chin. And she said, Scott, I think
2: you're trying to undermine me in this agency. And I don't like that. Now, I never had any desire, honestly, than to serve the taxpayers
1: of the city of New York faithfully and actually to support my boss and her agenda. But I'd been around long enough to know that my nearly 20-year career in government had just in that moment ended. Hmm. And within 60 days, I was out the door. It was during the tail end of the Great Recession, and unemployment was still in the double digits. And newspapers and magazines were full of horror stories. They were what was called unemployment porn. And it was very graphic stories about middle-aged executives, usually male, which was exactly what I was, and their sudden experience in the world of long-term unemployment and the threat of it becoming permanent unemployment. And I was petrified. I went to a career coach. He said, don't worry, Scott, with your skills and experience, you will have a job in 30, 60 days 90
2: days are the longest well that did not happen hundreds of resumes went out month after month after brutal month passed and i a year passed nothing no prospect anymore and the pressure the shame
1: darkness of what my quote unquote, prospects might be overwhelming. And 3.30, one morning, middle of the night, um, I woke up and as I thought about my future or lack thereof, I I couldn't contain it anymore. Um, I started to cry and I cried and I cried, cried. I woke my husband up and he consoled me he listened to me for an hour and a half. We talked, we grieved, and finally we were both utterly exhausted and went back to sleep. Thank goodness the next day he did not have to work. And I, of course, was free. <laughs> so, um, you know, when we got up, he said, Scott, why don't we go for a bicycle ride? And I said, okay, uh, why not? So we got our bicycles. I live in an apartment, a walk-up apartment, and we put them on our shoulders and we tromped down the stairs. And then, when we got to the street, I took the bicycle off my shoulder, and the wheels hit the street.
2: And at that exact moment, my husband said, Scott, take a look around. And I did. And I'll never forget that day. The sky was so blue. The leaves were so green. And the sun was sparkling them that yellow bicycle, like gold in the river. My husband said, take a look around and don't forget today, because you will work again. You'll look back on this day and you'll wish you could have it and it won't be here. And that moment, that bicycle in the sun, it's what kept me going through that day through the next day the next day after that and i'll tell you the
1: day did come when i worked again i was never so happy to have a job <laughs> because i knew what it was like to be without and i would look out the office sometimes and it would be beautiful outside and i think about that bicycle in the sun you know juergen a lot of times people have come to me when they have been through difficult transitions and there seems to be no hope. And I tell them about that bicycle in the sun. When they think that everything that they have is about to fall underneath them and they hear that story, it gives them hope too. That's why that event happened to me. And that's my story about the bicycle in the sun.
0: Mm. My son, and I stand by it too. <laughs> that's fantastic. Yeah. yeah. Bicycles in the sun is going to have a whole new meaning for me now. (laughs) Okay, now when you talked about um, finding another job then, when when did you get into entrepreneurship and working for yourself and starting the speaking gigs?
1: Well, I had to, so (laughs) during that time when I was waiting for a job, Um, you know, I had to hustle and start to make some money. So eventually a friend of mine introduced me to a man that owned a family of martial arts schools, and he was looking for someone with legal and organizational leadership expertise, because what he wanted to do was take those schools to the next level. And I had that. So we met and it was love at first sight. So even when I eventually got the next full-time job, I was still doing consulting work for him and one of the ways that he compensated me was through cash of course but he also gave me this incredible gift it was incredible and that was the opportunity to train at his jiu-jitsu schools for free can we say that's like the best compensation ever and you know i met amazing people there that i would have never met other otherwise i my martial arts skills were awful and because of that, I was committed to going over and over again just so I could have some semblance of credibility as a, as a martial artist. And there was one guy in particular. He had started a silkscreen printing business in his mom's garage using equipment that he had found in the basement of a dead man. And night after night, he would headlock me over and over and over again. We became friends. And he also wanted to scale his business. So he asked me to work on projects with him. And we worked on project after project after project. In that space, there was a lot of people that fit into two categories. One were these sort of old school, anonymous manufacturing companies owned by people that seemed stuck, like they were stuck in the 1980s. And then there were also like these really cool hipster types that were artists but did not have any real sense of how to run a business nor any desire to do it other than as a lifestyle supporter. So we realized this was an opportunity for us to squeeze in and and create a differentiator, to have the artsiness and the technical skill that my business partner brought to the table with someone who actually knew how to run a business like a business. And that's how we ultimately decided after literally um, an hour of him beating me up, (laughs) in class one night we were standing outside in the rain on the sidewalk and i said you know i've had so much fun working on these projects with your business maybe we should more deeply engage and he was like dude i'm ready to hop into bed now and within a week or two we'd signed the papers and i had given a resignation to the, to the non-profit that i was working at and,
0: and it it was amazing from there hmm and um With with all the speaking that you do and, and the business that you run right now, how how's the pandemic and the lockdowns and the travel restrictions impacted you and your business? You know, on the one hand,
2: I could sit and say, and I could mourn, and say there are opportunities
1: that I cannot have and will never have because I can't go anywhere. But from the beginning, and I learned this from my experience with that silk screen printing company, where there is loss, where there is challenge, where others are struggling, there is opportunity. The chance that this is presented to not be able to be out in the world all the time, going here and there, speaking and all that sort of stuff, allowed me to really sit down and take time and figure out what is my message? What is my purpose? Why am I here? How can I affect people? and really do that in a way that if I was running around, I wouldn't have had the time to do. It's allowed me to learn how to leverage things like LinkedIn or my network and fully pull them out in a way so that I end up meeting people like you. It's allowed me to figure out technology. At the end of the day, as everyone has said, and as I'm sure you know as well as anyone else, the world that comes after this pandemic is, becomes endemic is gonna be very different than what it was like before. And the technological changes that those of us who have chosen to embrace ain't going anywhere. Hmm. It gave me the opportunity to develop that. And I strongly believe that two, two types of people are going to be the ones that really come out on top after this profoundly and tragically Darwinian event. Number one, the essential people. They've proven that they're essential. They ain't going anywhere. And they haven't gone anywhere. But the other is those of us who are visionary. Those of us that embraced the future that didn't collapse within because we had that resilience or weren't those of us who were able to figure out how to be resilient and then viewed this as opportunity
0: are going to be the ones that are rebuilding
1: the new world. And it's gonna need us
0: more than ever. Hmm. Yeah, that's a really powerful message. And I think resilience is is a key word there. And I know Um, being adaptable is probably the other big message that's come out of this for me and I can relate to um, what you said about time and and then taking time to reassess your purpose your mission your message and when um, uh, when our first lockdown ended I took the car out to visit my 92 year old dad who i hadn't seen for ages because the the lockdown meant that we weren't even allowed to go that short distance an hour's drive and i got the car out of the garage and i thought do i even remember how to drive it had been so long and and then i realized that i needed fuel so i went to get fuel and i keep records of of my fuel for tax purposes and i rode in and i thought oh the last time the last time I filled the tank up with petrol was 4 months ago. Wow. <laughs> so that was crazy and then and then we had a second a second wave and and the same experience again back in um late early September when we reopened again. You know.
2: This is taught an invaluable lesson and that story really <laughs> exemplifies all of that. That whatever
1: comes next will be beyond what we can imagine Mm. you know i was just a few blocks away from the world trade center when it went down was Mm. one of the people running from the clouds that was totally different than any of the other catastrophes that we had had as a country before and so those of us who were adaptable exactly like you said um and those of us who um choose to view tragedy as the tragedies they are but also understand that they present opportunities for change can you know we're able to throw ourselves in and in one way or another use that skill of adaptability and resilience to recreate ourselves and help recreate the world around us and what you're talking about um is exactly the same and what this is going to be about as
0: well
3: Hmm.
0: so how can we um i mean what can we do to to look on the bright side here to recognize some opportunities that are coming up and and to kind of marry up, you know, not underestimate our capabilities in terms of grabbing some of those opportunities to um, be of service but also to use that to build on our business. Yeah. Well first of all, I will say that once
1: you understand your purpose, once you've made that commitment to connecting to it, the resilience is almost going to come second nature. Hmm. Because the resilience is driven by your determination to fulfill your purpose. You know, as I dive deeper and deeper into my own purpose through all that, all of the drive, all, I'm sorry, all of the fear, all of the chaos, all of the panic that people around me were having didn't affect me at all. It was very bizarre. Um, but I felt very, very connected to my purpose. And with that, I understood that every horror around me was just part of another you know, another step forward, another thing for me and uh, other folks to learn from. So that's number one.
2: Number two, understand that the bicycle and the sun story right, exists for a reason. Our
1: worst days are going to be experiences that we make through. And when we make through, we make, it's inevitable that we're going to learn if we do so. I think finally making sure that, you know, as we've discussed throughout this, and I I hate to just go back to the same themes over and over, but that's because those are the key themes. Yeah. Yeah. Which is that these experiences, particularly in business, are opportunities for us
2: to let our ego go. In fact, they're imperatives. When we let our ego go, a couple of things happen from a business
1: perspective. Number one, it allows us to honestly look at our business and say, okay, really, irrespective of what I want, irrespective of my desire to control the future or what the world is going to be like, what is the world to the best of my ability going to look like outside of any, outside of any control that I can ever dream of having? And then that can give us the clarity
2: to move forward in that direction. So I would say that's number one. Number two, because of the ego drop that purpose connection brings to us and the
1: resilience that it brings to us, it's also important for us to understand that if we're given the gift of being able to have skills and experience, that can put us in a position to provide service to the world and choose not to take those steps that promote resilience and our adaptability, I would argue, and this is a radical position that I take, Jurgen, that we're committing an ethical
2: crime. Entrepreneurs, business people, those in sales serve a sacred function in a capitalist society.
1: They are responsible for the allocation of resources and the flow of cash throughout the economy. If we're not doing the things that we need to do in order to make sure that as entrepreneurs and business people, we are fulfilling that macro goal, especially when we've been given the gifts and experience to do so, that is just wrong. It's not just bad for us. We are betraying our obligation to the larger system that we operate in. And that's a big deal.
0: Yeah. One one of the things, one of the questions that raises for me, and I know you're, you know, I I think I know your message on this, and that's around people talking about themselves and promoting themselves in terms of a marketing or a sales message, promoting what they do and their service. How how can, I mean, there's a hesitancy that I see. I mean, I certainly have it. Um, There's a hesitancy I see with people that have this service mentality, the service mindset that I don't want to go out there and just talk about how great I am and what my skills are and tell people about that. And yet it's exactly what you've just said. It's by being quiet about it, you're doing a disservice because out there somewhere are people that are desperately in need of what you have to offer. And and if they they don't find out, well, you know, basically you're withholding that from them.
1: Absolutely. Again, that goes as to the point about the ethical crime related to not putting yourself in a position where you are truly providing the service that your purpose drives you to. I'll also say sometimes it can be related to a lack of understanding as to how to effectively present ourselves so that it is really um, whatever it is that we're trying to provide to the world is truly presented as a service and not just an ego trip. You know, I, before I got to where I, you know, working on the, with the sort of line of work that I'm in right now, as I mentioned earlier, I was with that silkscreen printing company and eventually my business partner and I developed separate visions for the company. He wanted it to actually scale down. I wanted it to continue to grow 50, 50 owners. You can't have one person wanting to shrink it and one person wanting to grow it. So we had an amicable split and we agreed that due to the fact that I had had a much longer and varied professional experience, I should be the one to leave because I'd better be able to recover and reinvent my life. And I didn't want anything bad to happen to him because this wasn't anything personal. But nonetheless, there was a grieving process that happened. That company, the Brooklyn Press, it was my baby. Hmm. And so even though we had amicably agreed to separate, and even though um I left, you know, on my own accord, what could have been I was very sad about, and I also felt a little bit of shame because I felt, you know, people will think that I'm a failure for not having carried this through to whatever
2: its ultimate destiny was. When I began to orient myself towards this next chapter, being focused on service, driven by purpose,
1: how I approached the conversations changed. You know, I hadn't told a lot of people in my network about the departure for the reasons I just mentioned, but I called up a lot of them once I realized that my mindset had shifted and said, look, well, I've left the Brooklyn Press. I, have, I did these great things with it when I was there. I have all of this executive experience. Let's just have a conversation. And maybe I could just be of some service to you. How can I help you out? I'm not trying to ask you for business. I'm just trying to offer myself and what I have. Because, you know, why not else? I've I've been given them for a reason. What do I have to lose?
2: Amazingly, people responded accordingly. Scott, you've left the Brooklyn Press. Uh, You have all of this sort of stuff and you're willing to talk to me about it
1: can we pay you for that? Will you be willing to do with our business what you did there? The introduction to the conversation was totally different and the tone of the conversation was totally different. And by the way, taking that approach to my conversations with my network meant that as 2019 closed and 2020 began, I actually had a roster of clients and enough work so that I was struggling to set up an LLC a bank account and an invoicing system to even get paid for all of the work that I was doing for my clients. I was in the rare position of being flooded with work from clients
2: before I even had a business. Um, <laughs> that's service
0: yeah yeah so it's a it's about how how to how to word the message and make sure that yeah it is an offer of service first and foremost. And it's about what I like about that. It's kind of you you said, well, what have I got to lose? So there was no expectation at all. And I think a message like that that's put out there in service without any expectation, people realize that's what it is because they know, you know, there's no expectation out of this um, and it, it is just a conversation. And often, you know, that's the, the anomaly there is that often they, they will actually lead to business. Whereas if you went out pitching business and pushing really hard, you probably would have struck out most times.
1: Two interesting things happened once the lockdown began here in New York City. First, two of the clients that I had due to the business closures that were required suddenly went from millions revenue to zero. In both cases, it was within a week. And when they told me that, I
2: said, okay, look, I'm still gonna work with you indefinitely. I'm here to serve you. I care about you. We'll deal with payment another time. My main concern is making sure that you are alive.
1: One of the businesses eventually you know, got uh, some assist federal assistance and put me on the payroll immediately because of that, even when they let other people go. The other business responded by saying, Scott, you will be the person who is with us until the end of the road. That was what service brought. On the other hand, I was on the phone with a client of mine and that company's external CFO for a conference call during the early days of the pandemic. And the CFO company did not realize that the principal of that client company of mine had gotten on the conference call. And so the principal of that company overheard the CFO company saying, look, our financial situation is bad. These people have some cash in the bank. Let's talk to them about making sure that we um, raise our prices for them. Maybe that will cover some of the losses that we're having. But the client heard it all. (laughs) and you can imagine the future of that relationship with the company that was not service orientation and that CFO company has faced challenge Mm. since
0: yes Uh, it's it's amazing it still surprises me how many businesses think that they can take advantage of their customers or that they can ignore being um, you know talking about customer service I mean I've got some horror stories in the early days of the pandemic because um, the the systems that were in place were for in-person interactions and the service was just you know that they, they just weren't adaptable or flexible to and and then didn't care about me as the customer to make me happy and I'm just so surprised that you know there's still so many businesses out there that think you know I don't care about the customer or whether it's it's, you know, all of a sudden their business has stopped. And so they, you know, they really can't afford to pay you. So what do you do? Do you keep helping them, stay with them, hold the space for them? Or do you kind of take advantage of them? Like your example, your yeah on there.
1: Well, as you know, I have a law degree and there is a friend of mine or a business associate of mine, I should say, who is in a similar line of work as I am. And one of their clients fell behind on their bills due to the revenue loss caused by the pandemic. And shortly after the lockdown began, this company reached out to me and asked if I would be willing to loan my or lend my name um, on a letter that they were going to write using the ESQ behind it, basically telling this company that they were behind the client company that they were behind on their payments. And that, um, they needed to pay up or face legal action. And my, you know, my signature indicating that I was an attorney, the theory was that that would frighten this Hmm. client into paying. And I flatly refused. Absolutely not. Are you, are you not in the least bit concerned about the optics of this? How will your client feel when there is a national emergency going on and the biggest economic crash in the past hundred years? They have no revenue, and you're concerned about getting paid. You think you're the only person in the world? How do you? What? What about after this is all over? You know, the response I was I got was like, "Look, they entered into a contract with us, and they are required to pay." I don't care about all that.
0: Yeah. That's not service. That's it's not. not service, and it, it's also it comes back to what I like to talk about um, in in marketing sense. It's you know the transaction versus the human relationship. Oh, yeah, and, and that's very much just transactions. Yeah. 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 If you
1: are viewed as a Kleenex, you know, once someone blows their nose on you and throws it in the toilet, you don't have a relationship. It's Mm -hmm. over. Not only that, but you don't have a relationship with anyone in the circle of the person who you've thrown away. Because as you know, people talk, even in New York City, you know, arguably the alpha metropolis on the planet. It's a small world. People talk a lot
0: yes it is a small world and i I, i've noticed this i mean one of the great things for me that's come out of the pandemic apart from the time that, that all of a sudden has freed up early on and all the things that i've gotten to that that had been parked for ages um is is this podcast has just gone from strength to strength because we've gone to three episodes a week we've got people lined up until march or even april i think we're booking march and april next year for future guests and and I've got probably a list of about 10 emails that I need to get to that I haven't even responded saying that you know we'll get back to you. <laughs> and it but not only that it's it's connected me with so many people throughout the world and we've been able to run some events for the podcasters to bring people together and for people to meet one another because a uh, everybody's yearning for that sort of connection right now because they can't get out into their normal face-to-face meetings but b people are um, seeing that opportunity that hey with the technology we've got there's no geographical boundaries now it's not that i'm limited to the people in new york because you know i'm I'm not going to drive further um, for a networking event it's we can just jump on a, a conference call online and for me i think back to the early days of my corporate career where I was working for a company and I had a a, an international role and one of the visions I had in those days and this is the 1990s it's before the internet Uh, but one of the visions I had because I was running laboratories in different geographical locations all around the world with different expertise and different cultures and a lot of stories around that as well but the time zone thing I thought wow If you could take something that's being researched and developed in, um, let's say, Australia, and at the end of their day, that can then be given to somebody in India five hours behind, uh, and they work on it throughout their eight-hour day. And then it's passed over to somebody in Europe another five or six hours behind, Mm -hmm. and so on. And then over into the US, maybe East Coast, West Coast, and then back to Australia again. Imagine how you could speed up the development of something, and I think that's that vision, particularly with non physical products, that kind of vision is here now. I think there's huge opportunities now to really drive that forward and it's only it's only thirty years later
1: <laughs> yeah, and you know the I might add to that as I'm sure you've discussed with other guests, the fact of the matter is that these technological innovations have also dropped the costs associated mm. with every single step of the process, right? And including the opportunity costs of even, you know, scheduling time to to make that travel or yeah. to have a phone call um, that might not be adequate or to communicate back and forth through more traditional old school means. And so it's all the better. That's where, again, where we, like we talked about earlier, vision for the future and then the willingness to hop onto it Are going to make the difference there is a lot of people and it's scary in the business world who are still resisting the future that we've stepped into
2: Hmm. it's not going
1: anywhere part of being successful in businesses as we've discussed earlier it's so tied to letting your ego go Hmm. and that includes accepting the fact i might want to go back to rotary phones which I know you're too young to remember, but I certainly, <laughs> I certainly recollect. They ain't
2: coming back. The ego that yeah. desires to control cannot erase forces of the entire world.
0: Hmm. Yeah, I think I think there's you know there, there's a message there that I mean there's things that happen in the environment that we can't control, and certainly the pandemic is one of those, and and technology evolving and things changing as a result is kind of another one Um, and rather than fret over all of that um, we should control the things that we can control which is our response to them and looking for opportunities and taking advantage of those opportunities in serving our purpose absolutely one other thing that I did earlier in my career
1: was work for the New York City Department for the Aging. And one of the divisions that I oversaw was healthy aging. And so in order to function in that job, I had to develop a, at least a working understanding of the factors and the results of the inputs that people, you know, had with regards to, um, things that would help make aging a positive experience or a negative experience. And the openness and willingness to embrace change was one of the key factors in people maintaining cognitive strength as they got older. And by the way, these cognitive declines, as again, I'm sure people listening to this have heard, began as early as the early, you know, early 30s or even late 20s. Mm so resistance to this change isn't just by the way about maximizing your economic benefit it's not just related to serving your purpose it's maintaining your brain health
0: well, yeah yeah yes great point and and certainly you know i i, I mean my dad he's as i said he's 92 he's um, he gets on the internet every day he's He's researching uh, battery technology right now because he he's actually, to get his mobility good, he's bought himself an electric wheelchair recently and theres he, he's not sure whether the battery indicator is right or not. So what he's doing right now is researching battery technology and how the battery works. Now, its that's kind of in his area of expertise. He's an electrical engineer by trade, but it's fascinating that he's gone on the internet and each time we talk, he explains to me how batteries work, how lithium batteries work, and <laughs> fabulous.
1: I was going to say, isn't that a beautiful thing to observe? Hmm. You know, as opposed to people, you know, my best friend when I was growing up, his parents spent their retirement just watching TV, hmm. game shows. And, you know, they, I'm sure, were engaged with whatever it was that they were watching on TV, whatever these game shows were, these soap operas, um, but it's not quite the same level of life. Yeah, as a 90 plus year old man talking about battery charging in his hyper technologically futuristic, you know, made um, wheelchair or or whatever it is. I I love it. (laughs)
0: All right. Well, this is fabulous, Scott. I mean, I could go on talking for ages. I just realized what the time is. So I think it's a good point now to move on to the buzz, which is our innovation round. And it's designed to help our audience who are primarily innovators and leaders in their field with some tips from your experience. So I've got five questions, and hopefully you'll give us some snappy and insightful answers that'll inspire the listener to go and do something awesome today as a result.
1: I don't know if I'm ready, but I'm here.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, let's give it a shot. So what, what do you think the number one thing is anyone needs to do to be more innovative? Be mindful of the fact that if we are not
2: innovative, we are at profound personal professional
1: and social, social risk. If we're not aware of it, then we can't put ourselves in a mindset where we are adjusting to be that way. Also, I guess I might add sort of as a tag along to understand and accept whether we like it or not, that innovation personally and professionally is the absolute key to long-term sustainable survival to us as business people and
0: as individuals. Hmm. And even the planet i think in terms absolutely yeah you know, the big absolutely. issues that we're facing as a species and yeah yeah
1: i mean we may have to migrate to other planets that don't exist if we don't do something about that
3: mm.
2: and accept the fact that those things are necessary total
3: yeah
2: okay now what's the best
0: thing you've done to develop new ideas
2: interestingly enough
1: we were talking about networking earlier and how a lot of these technological changes um, I've opened the doors to networking beyond what any of us could have imagined, and our own developing relationship is an example of that, cross-continental. The reason why I mention that is because we can have the greatest ideas in the world, or the, at least the greatest ideas that our own brains can put out, but if we're not socially interacting with others, we're inevitably limiting the inputs that can accelerate creativity, and innovation within our own thoughts. Networking gets around that if it's done properly. If it's just networking that was sort of like what you are talking about earlier where you're just pitching, 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 it's not going to do that. But if you are networking with the idea of developing real, meaningful relationships with people, when you are having business problems, when you're having personal problems, when you're coming up with an idea for a new initiative or even a new company, you have people around you that are smart that are themselves innovative and usually creative and are looking out for your back. You can toss those ideas around. And that's when some of those mental electrical fields start charging away and new ideas come. Just last night, I was on a phone call with someone about a business venture that I want to start next year. um, That I was having problems wrapping around one key component of. And just by sharing it with this networking partner of mine, she said, "Oh, this is how you resolve that." And that didn't solve the problem, but it led to the solution to the problem. So talking to people, being around, expanding your network, being intercontinental, just like we are, massively valuable.
0: Hmm. And and I like that you pointed out that you know it's about building relationships, not about pitching business. Yeah. And and in your example, of course, you know there there was. The um, idea of asking questions in terms of, hey, I've got this idea and I don't know how to overcome this issue.
1: Yeah. Sometimes even just saying to people, look, this is my idea. If I sound ridiculous, I know you love me. Please tell me. Don't yes me you off a cliff.
0: And mm. people
2: will because if you have built those relationships, they care enough to do so. Hmm.
0: All right. Um, do you have a favorite resource you use most often?
1: Honestly, it is LinkedIn. I think mm-hmm. that has been a powerful networking resource. I, I before the pandemic, I wouldn't have said that. I just post up my profile and hope for the best. But in terms of resources for innovation, it builds that network. It exposes you to thinking if you regularly go on that feed, you're going to be exposed to amazing articles that can can teach you about things um and and books and and again, people that you don't know that you can just reach out to who may be willing to help you. That's an indescribably powerful tool. And I'm, mm wholeheart behind it
0: yeah i think linkedin's kind of undergone a transition over the last couple of years um it kind of it's it's really moved away from this um cv depository of of people looking for jobs or people looking to change careers or jobs um to to that much more interactive thing and and some people are using it well i think some uh, some are still know i still get the odd pitch hey um well actually i get three types of requests for connection i get one that's just you know they've just hit the button and doesn't say anything else and then so it's up to me to then have a look at the person and decide whether i want to connect which i do um, but i just i'm kind of hesitant at that point already then there's the next one that says, hey, I'd love to connect. It'd be great if we could connect. And I, you know, my immediate response is, well, why? <laughs> you haven't told Absolutely. me why. And, yeah. and so it's the same thing. It's on me then to figure it out. Um, or there's the people that actually go to the trouble of saying, hey, uh, for example, I listened to your podcast with Scott uh, Scott Mason and I really loved what you said there about X, Y, and Z. And wouldn't it be great if we could connect here and continue a conversation. Now that one I will immediately accept and I will respond with, hey, I'm glad you enjoyed it. What was your biggest takeaway? Or I'll I'll continue that conversation along whatever lines that was. And there's nothing about um, any pitching. So it's really just about a relationship and a conversation. Yeah, and I have met some amazing people that way. I mean, really
1: awesome. Hmm. And I, I could not agree I could not agree more. The other thing, the other type that I've occasionally gotten, and it's unspoken, but I've got to throw this out here as a way not to use LinkedIn because <laughs> it's devastating. Which is, it's not a dating site. I, 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 I don't. I'm not looking for love from you. <laughs> Go somewhere else. And that yeah. occasionally has happened, and it's. If you want to destroy your credibility before it even has a chance to be built up, that's the way to do it.
0: Yeah. Okay. Well, I haven't had that on LinkedIn. I've had it on some of the other platforms. (laughs) Well,
1: it's probably just a matter of time. (laughs) Yeah.
0: All right. I feel left out now. (laughs) What's the best way to keep a client on track, Scott?
1: (laughs) I'm a big believer in developing plans with their input. A lot of entrepreneurs that I work with or small business people that are looking to grow, scale, and sustain have not had a formal project management planning uh, background that they can take advantage of. I can bring that to the table, but it's something that can easily be learned. And then making sure that we regularly meet in advance, go through the accountability portion of those plans, check up. And, you know, also develop a relationship right from the beginning. If this is your personality type, which is mine, which is that part of what I need to be able to do with you is hold you accountable for that. If you're looking for a yes person or someone that will just listen to your excuses for why you haven't done what you said you've done and just paid, you're paying me money to hear that, you know, I, I think that's foolish um, and I would not recommend it for you, but I'm not interested because I've got my own purpose in life to fulfill um and i'm pretty clear about that with all of my clients right up front and once you lay that down and then if especially if you act on it um they'll actually in my experience come to respect you because on some level or another they know that they are deficient in one way or another and we all are deficient in some things so that's not a judgment on them um but then that puts them in a position where they're able to hear because they've made that commitment my pushing them on Meeting the deadlines and staying on track with what they said they're going to do
0: most mm-hmm. of them appreciate it, too
1: Yeah, even if they're mad in the moment <laughs>
0: <laughs> Yeah, I love that and um, I think it comes back to the old you know, the what we've been talking about throughout the Conversation is service because you're in the best service to your client if you oh. say hey, here's what we agreed on um, Has that changed if it hasn't changed then you know, this is what you need to do and mm-hmm. holding them accountable Absolutely. If it's coming from a place of love, people can tell. Yeah. Okay. Now, what's the number one thing you think anyone can do to differentiate themselves? First of all,
1: understand your purpose and why that is unique to you and how that ties into your specific skills
2: and experience. No one's skills and experience are identical all lived individual lives, particularly if
1: we've had any professional success at all. When you tie that to your purpose, not only will it drive you to the right clients, but it will put you in a position where you're able to explain the full extent of the service that you can provide as well as its limitations. So for instance, when I work with clients on um, building uh, and scaling their, their businesses, I say right up front, although I have a law degree, I will not be litigating your cases. I have not litigated for 25 years. That's a disaster waiting to happen. I'm not, although I'm familiar and comfortable with, um, you know, technology as a user, I am not going to be able to provide you with competent IT support services. Uh, you know, and, and my purpose will never be that. That I can promise. And my skills and, and background certainly are not in that area. And or, or, nor are they in accounting although I can help them interpret and analyze financials. So I think that making all of those things clear right up front um, and holding to them and not being afraid to really explain what your skills and experiences are is how you differentiate. I walk in, there are a zillion business consultants doing exactly what I do. The space is so crowded I can barely breathe, even right now in my own apartment. (laughs) But I can say I'm different. Because I have experience in three sectors. I have large organizational experience. I have entrepreneurial experience. I have a law degree that enables me to think like a lawyer with regards to your problems and help you do deal with compliance issues. And that package is unique to me. Is that package of services right for you and what you need? Or maybe we can talk about how it might be that's a pretty powerful differentiator. And because of those sorts of historical um, differences that people have, again, connected to that purpose, differentiation, I don't think, has to be that hard, unless there's some compliance issue that keeps you from being able to articulate your difference.
0: Yeah, well, there's a lot there, and and it's great. You've really outlined you know the connection to your purpose and then understanding what your unique skill set is and where the limitations are and being really open about that. Yeah. All right. Well, thanks, Scott. This has been absolutely fabulous. I'm really enjoying the conversation now. Where can people find out more about you? Maybe even reach out and get in touch to say thanks for what you've shared. Sure. So
1: www.scottmasonllc.com is where you can find out more about my business consultation services. If you are interested in having me as a motivational or keynote speaker or a podcast guest, Go to www.speakerscott.com, and you can find me on LinkedIn as well as Instagram. By the way, purposehighway.com is the URL for my podcast. How's that for a mouthful?
0: Excellent. And we'll have the links to those places in the show notes as well, so people can click straight through. All right. Now, do you have any parting advice for our listener today, Scott? You
2: know, imagine that we are all connected to our purpose, building a better self and a better world. We are going to be on together, the adventure of a lifetime. And there's no other place I'd rather be. Mm. Right. And we've
0: covered that in detail with lots of stories and examples. So thanks for that. Now, finally, Scott, who else should I get on this show and why? I don't know
2: if you know the one and only Oleg.
1: Mm -hmm. I
0: don't believe so.
1: Oleg is a collaborator of mine. He and I also run a, um, uh, Facebook live show every Thursday night called Just a Squirrel, where we talk about deep questions. He's an entrepreneur and a speaker as well that does a lot of conversation, um, around resilience, fortitude. He has some extreme life experience and he's an interesting, smart guy. Um, and he's been able to transmogrify that experience into, uh, being a founder of a, very interesting um, and unique nonprofit, as well as hosting his own podcast and, and talking everywhere he
0: can. And he's well worth listening to. Great, well, we'll get an introduction to Oleg from you and um, bring him on the I show. cannot wait. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. Well, thanks so much for sharing your time and your insights so generously today, Scott. I've really enjoyed our conversation. We've kind of gone into a few rabbit holes there, but I think the overarching theme of, really discovering your purpose and being true to it and connecting that to skills and then talking to people in in the spirit of being of service i think that message has come through loud and clear so thanks again for sharing all that with us i've really enjoyed it i hope you have and please do stay in touch it was an incredible pleasure thank you I hope you enjoyed that fascinating and insightful conversation with Scott and took something away from his episode. I loved Scott's bicycle story, no surprises there, and of course his message of the service mindset is very compelling. I'd love to know what you took away from Scott's episode. Leave a comment below the blog post, which you can find at innovabiz.co forward slash Scott Mason. That is S C O T T. M-A-S-O-N, all lowercase, all one word, co forward slash Scott Mason. You'll also find contact information there for getting in touch with Scott, as well as links to his website, to the Purpose Highway podcast, to his social media pages and the other resources we spoke about in our conversation today. Now, if you like this episode, please do share it with two other people who might be helped by listening to Scott's wonderful advice. And tag me in that share so that I can reach out to you with a very special surprise simply as a way of saying thank you. Scott suggested that we have a conversation with Oleg Loheed on a future InnovaBuzz podcast episode. So Oleg, keep an eye on your inbox for an invitation from us to the InnovaBuzz podcast courtesy of Scott Mason. Tune in again to the next episodes of the Innova Buzz podcast. We've got yet more fantastic guests lined up, including Janine Kelbuck of Write RN and the Savvy Scribe podcast, and author Mark Devine of Silfit and the Unbeatable Mind Academy. Thanks for listening to this episode. Make sure you subscribe to the show to be reminded of new episodes. It's free to subscribe. Leave a review if you like. Even if you don't like me, I'm okay with that. I'm asking you to leave a review because it helps other people find this show. Go to innovabiz.co to join our marketing transformation community and access a free gift my team and I made for you. It's the Marketing Master Mini Class. We want to give you everything you need to transform your marketing into a human-centred, relationship-focused growth engine. Until next time, I'm Jürgen Strauss from InnovaBiz. Remember, be awesome and keep innovating.